And away we go into Hour 3 of a great day for talk radio. There's still so many things that we have to uh, address and tie off loose ends and so on and so forth. And we propose to do that here all in the span of the next uh, hour or less. And we're going to talk shortly to uh, Rob Nicholson. He's the conservative shadow minister for justice. There's an interesting ruling where a case was stayed against a man found guilty of armed robbery because it just took too long to send him. It's kind of like that Ascoff ruling, you know, uh, justice delayed is justice denied. And so if some people rag the puck successfully with their lawyers or the system is overwhelmed, uh, this is going to put additional pressure onto the system. Speaking of which, of course, we've also got pressure on our housing system here in the city of Toronto with shelter space uh, at a premium. Of course, uh, much of that is now taken up to by asylum seekers. And Denzel Minim Wong is going to join us because Toronto in 2013, overwhelmingly, the council voted to make this a sanctuary city. But Denzel Minim Wong at the time was one of the holdouts and voted it down. He's going to explain why that is. And perhaps now we're getting to see how it plays out in real terms, Uh, you know, de facto terms that this is nice, well, well and good to suggest we're a sanctuary city. But sometimes it can also uh, bite you in the arse, as they say. And so Denzel Minim Wong, who's a, a counselor, he had run for prov, uh, provincial office, but it didn't work out that way. But uh, going back to council, we'll discuss that matter as well. On the housing issue, though, uh, I think people always want to know uh, what their heap is worth and has it appreciated, depreciated, because it's a big story. It has been for years in a market as hot as Toronto specifically and the surrounding area, the GTA or the Golden Horseshoe plus a GTA. It's always instructive to know what your biggest asset is worth, or uh, are there better days ahead? And to that end, we've been joined on the line by our friend Phil Soper, who's the CEO at Royal LePage Brookfield Real Estate. Phil, how are you doing this afternoon? Hey, very good, John. Great to be on. All right. Uh, so Royal LePage and Brookfield Real Estate kind of uh, amalgamated, didn't they? Well, you know what? It's always been we're a Brookfield company, and uh, so it's always been that way. So uh, we're, we're happily part of one of Canadian Canada's great success stories. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's <laughs> let's talk about the other successes here, or perhaps uh, the lack of success in the housing market. Now, you've come out with the Royal LePage House Price Survey and Market Survey, just released for the second quarter. And uh, if I've got it right, there's been somewhat of a decline in uh, house prices in the GTA year over year. Is that correct? Yeah. You know what? We saw... Uh, we saw a really slow first half. It was probably the the slowest first half to the year spring market uh, that we've seen in the GTA, well, in probably a decade. And uh, overall, prices had declined by 1.9% a year over the last 12 months. But uh, the real story is when you look into the neighborhoods and the types of properties. So, for example... Detached homes were down almost 4%, whereas condos were up 8.7%. So, you know, it's a a question of the devil is in the details, but it it has been a very slow start to the year. All right. And so uh, when you break it down neighborhood by neighborhood, and I guess we talked after the first quarter, Richmond Hill was taking a pounding insofar as house prices were concerned. That, That continues on into quarter two, doesn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, we watch, because we're a data analytics company, in addition to being a bro- uh, brokerage company, that's part of our Brookfield uh, arm, The we watch the house data roll in day after day, week after week. We've actually seen a bottom and a rise in, start to appear in the 416. It hasn't appeared yet in the suburbs. But 
you know, you and I talked uh, last year, the year before, and we were shaking our heads at some of the house price increases we were seeing in communities like Richmond Hill or out to Oshawa, call it the suburban uh, GTA, 20, 25, 30% uh, annual house uh, price increases during those years. And and it was just unsustainable, whereas the 416 was much, much more moderate. So, so it's giving back some of that, some of that, uh, call it over exuberance, not, not all of it, because unfortunately for home buyers, uh, prices go up easily and they come down grudgingly. Right. You mentioned uh, most notably Markham and Richmond Hill, where the values depreciated 8.8% and 12.4%. Uh, so these places are taking almost double-digit hits. But everywhere else across the region, Scarborough's down year-over-year, year, Brampton, uh, Oshawa and Ajax, Pickering, Whitby, uh, these kinds of things are just a, a market uh, readjustment, still again the hangover from those uh, government-imposed uh, stress tests and uh, all the other related things that were brought in back, I guess it's been, what, 16, 15 months ago? Yeah, you know what, predominantly the changes brought in six months ago. That would be the big one, which was the federal uh, stress test for access to mortgages. So it actually probably had the most impact on Canadian real estate markets, whether they were overheated like Toronto or Vancouver or sputtering along like uh, Calgary and Edmonton, it impacted from coast to coast and took activity levels well uh, right down. So depending on how you look at it, it was either the most successful piece of government intervention or the most uh, heinous uh, that, that, that has occurred in over a decade of uh, intervention and regulatory uh, changes aimed at trying to move the market one way or another. However, I guess people have to remember that that mortgage rates, uh, the stress test didn't actually make homes more expensive or mortgages more expensive. All they, all it did was say to a family, listen, I know you're intending to buy this house and we were going to give you the money to, to buy it, but I'm afraid we can, we can't lend you that much money anymore because that we have a distress test, so we'll have to lend you less. So what's happened over the last six months is people have adjusted. They've looked and found other properties, uh, less expensive properties, or they've looked into less expensive neighborhoods. And those that were waiting on the sideline that weren't affected by the stress test, the ones that were the wait-and-see buyers wondering if prices were going to decline, they're starting to come back into the market as they realize that, the price declines have been modest, and and they're starting to reverse, particularly in Toronto, which didn't see the great run-up uh, in prices that some of the suburban areas did. Right, and so by the same token, you mentioned that millennial buyers, uh, they're into the condominium market, and that's uh, spiked the median price of a condominium, increased 9.3% year over year, almost a double-digit return, or uh, it's inflated the price of that type of dwelling. Now, I'm kind of curious if other people, you know, when you say these stress tests and so on and so forth might have impacted and changed people's buying patterns, but there's also uh, another wild card in the equation, and perhaps people are arranging different forms of financing, including the transference of intergenerational wealth. Absolutely. Yeah, no, that's one. Uh, and of course, that the stress test only applied uh, if, you're, if you're buying from a federally regulated financial institutions. So think of it as one of the major banks and you were changing banks. 
So if you stayed with your bank and renewed with a new property, you weren't subject to it. If you went to a credit union, for example, you weren't subject to it. A lot of the people that moved to the sidelines weren't impacted by the stress test. They were just afraid that the stress test would cause prices to fall. And in some neighborhoods, it was the trigger. So so they were correct. But as usually happens in Toronto, the the reprise from from rapidly escalating home prices is temporary. We still have so many people uh, in this in this area looking for housing, and our rental vacancy rates are so low that that doesn't provide a sort of a relief valve. And I don't think it'll be long before we're talking about. Uh, home prices getting away from us again. It's just, it's that kind of economy right now. Yeah, you say in the next quarter, Royal LePage forecast, the aggregate price of a home in the GTA is going to rise 2.1%. And that's in three months. If you look to the next six months, our forecast is 4.5%, which on an annualized basis would be nine. Now, there's, there's catch up in this. So, I'm not expecting prices to go up double digits across the whole region again over the next 12 months. But clearly uh, that spring market that never blossomed is uh, providing some late summer flowers. So in other words, if I can continue the gardening (laughs) analogy, if people are on the fence, they might actually want to hop off because you're, you're foreseeing over the next year there could be price increases, which would again exacerbate the situation for people trying to get into the market. You know, particularly in the uh, in, in Toronto proper, I, it, it won't. The recovery won't be as quick in the areas that overshot. Uh, I think what will happen is we'll see home prices start to um, move up again in Toronto, and that will signal to people who potentially weren't wanted looking to buy in Toronto, but in a, a outlying region, ah okay, the adjustment, the correction is over, and I've seen some price declines. This is a, you know, the kind of opportunity that I can get back in the market. And that, you know what, the other, the other thing that we saw in this report, and it's the first time we've called this out, is there are a significant number of families, both retiring baby boomers and young families, that are actually exiting the GTA. Hmm. For yeah, parts unknown, where are they going? Well, you know what? It's it, there's a material impact on home prices in places like London, uh, uh, Kitchener, Waterloo, Cambridge, Windsor, Belleville, Kingston. In all these places, we're seeing double digits. You know, ten percent or higher home price increases, whereas things are flat in the in the city or even down. And when we dive into it, we talk to our management uh, across the region, it turns out that it's a lot of relocating families, young families who are, who are migrating for cost of living reasons and retiring people who are looking for a, a more affordable retirement. We see this in the United States. It's a, it's a well-documented phenomenon, like people leaving California, moving to Arizona and Nevada for mm-hmm cost of living uh, reasons, but we haven't really seen it in, in, in enough volume in Ontario to actually move the needle on home prices in these secondary cities, and we are now. So it's a, it's a fascinating uh, industry, a fascinating 
uh, uh, topic, and, and I think we've just scratched the surface. Well, it sounds to me like, uh, yeah, it's a sociological phenomenon. Uh, Phil, it's great to get the insight. As uh, always, I appreciate it, and uh, we'll see where the prices are going and talk at that point next quarter. Okay, you take care. And you, Phil Soper, again, is the CEO of Royal LePage, Brookfield Real Estate Services on that matter.